from TMP to TTNG For sure the cure and those tired meme jeans Hella Kinsella and the promise ring Sunny day real estate and rights this spring Prince Twinkle Daddy's help keep the dream alive I constantly thank God for Algernon and Remo Christie front drive Mineral snowing high tide hotel you're and more lives uncensored <laughs> and that's what we're coming in with episode 30 of the e-word happening live ellie i feel like it's been a while it's been a while it's been it's been a while yeah um just a, a hot minute i'm not sure why do we just like need a break were we just like we need to chill for a second i don't know we i think we recorded like two and a half weeks ago or something What's yeah, but we also recorded like real close together. What's popping? So I I lost my job. Uh, the reason that I lost my job is very very stupid. I was told that our store was closing in like two days, which already is like bullshit because how on earth is that enough notice to like get a new job? And then I made a joke about stealing from the store since I knew ahead of time it was gonna close obviously sarcastic and some fucking class trader co-worker snitches on me so i got fired and then a week later i got a new job at a vegan smoothie place so that is where i work now um cool making pretty similar pay and then i'm i i got fucking sick which is why i sound like shit so my life's a real roller coaster right now pal <laughs> how are you <laughs> I'm okay. I feel like the past two weeks have been fucking just put my head down and trudge through it all. And uh, I guess the only thing I have to show for is a mouthful of canker sores. So I'm uh, going mu- to be mumbling more more than usual. It's ailment season on the pod this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 not it's not the worst gig yet. We'll yeah. see how it goes. I did also like almost stab myself again while cutting a watermelon. <laughs> don't give Ellie knives I, I just can't be trusted I can't be trusted with uh, any any tools blade, blade. really um, <laughs> so this is the 2011 so this is the rest of 2011 episode uh, we did this for 2010 where we talked about all the other records that were on that ballot and what the fuck was going on for emo in 2010 and this is the same thing for 2011 um, the winner of this year 
was Algernon Cadwallers Pad Parrotflies album and we did that episode with Tank that was very popular and very fulfilling so we're not going to be talking about that one as much um, but maybe in context of the whole year uh, but do you want to talk about anything else before we get into 2011 though? Our Twitter's been very quiet neither of us have really made a tweet in a minute it's okay the poll for 2012 was huge it it was like the biggest one yet so one will be out I don't even know when Uh, but we are making contact with that band however Um, but yeah Uh, so but 2011 I say we start here with where were you in 2011 and what were you listening to alright so uh, this would be like the end of my freshman year and the beginning of my sophomore year of high school. Um, which means that I was like pretty, uh, that was probably like the peak of my involvement in like the Vegas, like hardcore scene. I mean, I was listening to obviously emo and pop punk as well because that was kind of just considered part of the thing, but I was very, very entrenched in, you know, going to Yayas tacos and, uh, like the womb room and stuff like that. It was a pretty cool time for me. I felt very uh, in the know, mm-hmm. which I don't feel that way anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will never be as hip as I was when I was 15 years old. So you were very involved locally, like specifically in hardcore. I guess there wasn't much for emo, I'm assuming. Uh, I guess uh, there are a couple bands that came more like later, like characters uh, who were trying to do like more twinkly stuff and mm-hmm. uh alaska too but they were also less like straight up vegas and more like henderson which is uh like a different city within a city uh i don't know it got it got too complicated for me at some point <laughs> yeah um for 2011 i was still in college i think this was my uh, junior year or no this, this would have been half sophomore half junior year Last time we were talking about this, I was just talking about how I was involved in college radio, but this was more relevant to mention that I was in college radio at this point because I was getting a lot of these records that were on the ballot as they were coming in. Right. I mean, we'll get to this eventually, but like No Sleep was sending their stuff to college radio like very heavily um, and stuff like yeah. that. Um, and I was actually working... Like one of the radio promoters was one of the guys in by surprise, so he oh shit. So he was talking to me about oh yeah, my band's on top shelf and shit like that. Um, That's really fucking cool. Holy shit! Yeah, um, I got I got a something to embarrass you with when we get to the by surprise record too. <laughs> All right, perfect. Um, Can't and wait. and big kids and big kids. I got a twofer. Uh, just shaming you. <laughs> shaming me yeah okay all right um uh so yeah do we have any parting thoughts for parrot flies i i do think that this album was monumental like even at the time Mm -hmm. um like i would see a lot of a lot of people making jokes on like in various forums that were like, what are all the emo kids going to listen to after they get bored with parrot flies? There's nothing else. Like you can't go. (laughs) It was just the end all be all. Like it was the most like quintessential definitive perennial album in that scene at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone knew it. 
did what we talk about with Tank or what Tank shared change anything for how you listen to it? It made me pay a lot more attention to the drums. Uh, Which are and completely fine. <laughs> the drums are great. Yeah. Tank is like absurdly hard on himself. I got a I got a buddy who started off as a drummer and he was like, Tank's a really fucking good drummer and it makes me sad. Like, it made me sad to hear him talk shit about himself yeah, on the absolutely. pod. Some some discussion to get us into uh, 2011. I put some observations here on this doc and my observation was this was really the year that No Sleep Records became No Sleep Records. Um, yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, you could probably argue that for 2010 or maybe 2012, but I mean, this was the year that like we got big records from like a, like a big spread of bands like Into It Over It put Proper out on it, uh, a lot of Spute put you know Wildlife, yeah, but like is Wildlife maybe maybe sold more than uh, from the bottom? I don't know. Uh, I think Wildlife. Um... Wildlife is gonna go down as an underappreciated classic. We're gonna get to that later, but okay. I I think it it did it actually did not do as well. Like its its legacy grew, and I think by the time that Rooms of the House came out, it had outperformed somewhere at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on the strength of like, I think Wildlife has a lot of like cult like sleeper hits on it. Yeah, so people really picking up on that but yeah i think at at the time somewhere at the bottom was like much more commercially uh successful yeah but still like people were like really really hardcore waiting for wildlife to come out so i think like oh yeah they might have been like the biggest that they have i don't know but yeah either way huge record um there's a couple ones that were on the list that came out on no sleep uh we got the upsides uh yeah 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 so, um just gigantic i mean yeah the upsides was huge that was 2010 um oh wait I, what did the one you just put ups- out in 2011 suburbia i've given suburbia, you all that okay, came yeah, out yeah, on, yeah yeah that came out on hopeless oh did it well either way this is like all happening on no sleep um, yeah either way i think i think the upsides was just a huge fucking record for no sleep yeah i think that was like their smash hit and it was definitely like the moment where people took the wonder year seriously yeah <laughs> like and, it was very it was very surprising and just like in general no sleep was just signing bands a lot and yeah you know who else was starting to like gain the same type of uh reputation as no sleep at this time was run for cover, cover. yeah absolutely yeah and another observation was like uh, Twinkle was a DIY and underground thing, while like yeah. the post-hardcore sound was uh, not not commercial but like a commodity. Like yeah, uh, absolutely, they were really being pushed. Uh, and the, the the big examples would be like Touche, Parting Seas, Title Fight, Shed, um, which isn't post-hardcore, but it's, it's well, I mean hardcore pop. Punk, yeah whatever we want to call it uh basement uh yep. sea haven yeah those were all like getting transit uh it was all getting like a huge push from the bigger labels at that time and i think uh that's interesting because quote-unquote post-hardcore at that time was really just a melange of emo and hardcore and pop punk mm-hmm. right 
mm-hmm. like just bands like variously leaning into one or the other. And I think all of these bands were coming from the exact same place as like the DIY Twinkle stuff, but they weren't afraid to not be DIY. Um, and they weren't like afraid to try and like make careers out of what they were doing. Yeah. Whereas I think that the twinkly stuff was music made by and for people, uh, who truly could not give a shit because they felt like they were playing an obsolete dead genre already. Yeah. Um, like even Algernon who was, yeah. Oh yeah. I got defeater in my, in my list of stuff to cover. (laughs) I got a whole bunch of albums. Just you wait. (laughs) This was like a huge year for me, like so much nostalgia. Yeah, looking back on love records. I was I was taking in a lot of records at this point in my life. Like I was listening to all the shit as it came out, actually, which was pretty exciting. Um, mm-hmm. Except for one that we can start with, I was not aware of until like probably like in and and embarrassingly like long time after uh, would be the runner-up in this whole poll, which would be William Bonnie Good Vibes. I don't think I knew of it, like, as it came out, but maybe by, like, 2012 or very early 2013, I was aware of it. No. Um, I was way, way after, maybe 2017. So, how do you feel about it, then? I love like, it. It's, 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 I mean, we've talked about this record quite a bit in, like, the last couple of months, I feel like, but, like, this album... Yeah, but I got, I got a new take. Okay. But I want to. I want you to go first. It's it's super accessible. Twinkle scrams. I mean, mate. Wait. Oh, okay. I remember when I was listening to William Bonnie at like my peak. William Bonnie listening. I was like, right. Ellie, what does like the screamo like? What a scram cave think of William Bonnie? Like, do they just yeah, they brush hate- it under the rug as like a Twinkle scrams thing? They they hate it and they make fun of it okay. for sure. Um, I mean, there are people who like still think of it as like a guilty pleasure or like an entry point. I don't think of it like that, but I also don't quite even think of it as Twinkle Scrams. I used to, but my recent revisiting of it has kind of changed my perspective a little bit because I I decided that with the remaster, it kind of just sounds exactly like 2011 era Touche Amore. I was just about to like say I want to put in I want to put a put it put a pin in this and ask like what do people think of Touche and Scram Cave? Well, Touche are actually pretty universally beloved. <laughs> I mean, there's there's always there's always a bunch of people who like uh, give them flack for you know like the same type of people who shit on Turnstile just because they're like a big hardcore band. But I do remember back on Cross My Heart with a Knife. Touche got so much shit. All the wave bands did. All the like La Dispute and Touche and Defeater, all of them, they got shit for like commodifying scrams or being like fake real screamo, you know? There was even like a weird like shit uh screamo kids say video on YouTube that had like three hundred views, uh me being like twelve of them. And like one of the, one of them was just someone going like fuck touche amore. Uh Okay. That that was the vibe, like back in like twenty twelve. I mean, no, like obviously, like those screamo kids were a small minority because Touche like blew the fuck up with Parting the Sea. Anyway, on to William Bonnie. <laughs> <laughs> so staying with William Bonnie, um, yeah, I uh, this got 
18% of the votes. Um, Algernon really smoked this competition with 30%, which was no surprise. Um, yeah. And I would have loved to do a deep dive on William Bonney because, like, this album was recorded horribly and it's perfect and I love it that way. Um, it, but do you think this album, like, aged well? To me, it's it has aged very well. Um, I mean, it does feel like a throwback, but I think at the time that I first listened to it, it did kind of sound uh, more visceral, and now it sounds a lot like I would imagine a band doing this vibe would sound, but I think that's kind of like the Seinfeld is unfunny effect, you know, where it was like so influential that the original now seems like dated in comparison yeah but regardless of that i think that 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 might be my favorite vocal performance jack's ever done yeah i like it more than Merchant the drums Ships still and... sound fake yeah <laughs> i can't unhear that uh but yeah i mean like there's something like extremely accessible about this album that like it's yeah there's a reason they're like fisher price my first screamo band yeah, yeah and that's definitely a punchline now but it's also just like if i want to like sing along to screamo there's like three albums you can do that with and one of them is william bonnie's good vibes what are the other two i don't know maybe touche i don't i i don't know how much i would classify touche as screamo they got the influence yeah i guess that was just because we were just talking about them um, I yeah. don't know, fucking. That's sing- City of Caterpillar for me. City of Caterpillar, maybe. I mean, Old Pride, Pianos. Yeah. Oh, we got a Pianos album on here, too. We do. We do. Um, I think they're best. Uh, do you have anything else for Good Vibes, William Bonnie? If you think that you're too cool for this record, uh, go back and give it an honest listen. The OG version, not the remaster. Yeah. Um, By no means is this like a hard record. Like, it's not a tough record. It's super sappy. It's super sappy, but honestly, like, the program drums kind of sometimes give it, like, a little bit of, like, like, like hardcore, like, skank beat kind of flair. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. Uh, There's an interesting mix of stuff on on this record, and I think that uh, history has been kind to it. Mm -hmm. And the the ripoffs don't make the original less good which is rare sure um next up we got title fight with shed this got 11 percent of the votes um i'm i'm categorized i'm categorizing like six of these as like the big ones on the ballot because the the ones that we'll get to in the other section which we probably don't have much to talk about um really didn't gain uh any momentum at all on this poll but uh, title right. fight uh, shed. I was surprised that it didn't get more, or like was, or would rival Altronon at all because it's title fight. Um, do you think that's because it's shed? Um, that would make me really sad if it's because it's like specifically shed. Sure. Um, this is the album that if Algernon didn't win, I would have been okay with w- winning. <laughs> okay. Do you think there's a this lot to dive is... into with shed? Yeah. Okay. For sure. I mean, this album's just r- super ridiculously important to me. Okay. Um, like, there's a lot of arguments to be made about what the best title fight song is, but they are all 
incorrect unless the best title fight song is 27 because that's the best thing that this band has ever done (laughs) um i think that the lyrics on this album are they're not like poetic or deep and metaphorical or anything like that but they're just searing and direct and they have that grab you by the heart and won't let go kind of quality to them I think Jamie and Ned's voices are perfectly contrasting. I think uh, the songwriting is perfect in every way imaginable. Like the songs uh, all kind of flow together in a pretty miraculous rhythm. Most like most of the time, it makes sense for each song to come right after the next. Like yeah. it, it all kind of like flows. Especially your screen door into twenty seven. Um, I think one of the things about this album that does not get brought up enough is uh, Walt Schreifel's yeah, uh, production. Yeah, produced this and did a guest vocal thing, too. Yeah. Um, and he did a fucking fantastic job. Like, this record sounds dry, but also crisp and warm. It sounds like... It's, it's really just in your head, you know, when you listen to it. it it's not like... It's not too sparse and it's not too overwhelming. It's just a straight shot right into your face. I don't know. I I just remember being so impressed with this album when it came out, and it's never lost any of its luster for me. Yeah, I've always thought that this album was like a total move because uh, this was their first. It's their LP. Yeah, it's their first LP technically because, but like people really. Uh the last thing, oh, last you, thing you, you forget. forget what like that's just like everything that they did pre- previously put into one thing right uh not absolutely everything but the the best of their early material kind of all collected onto one okay but yeah this like this doesn't really sound exactly like that because that stuff was like very pop punky and i always thought that they were just like a pop punk band just with energy that no one else was playing with and then Shed comes out, and it's, like, so specific. So the thing about The Last Thing You Forget is the songs are kind of in backwards chronological order. Mm-hmm. So the stuff at the end of the album is a lot more pop-punky, but I think Symmetry is... Symmetry and Introvert, specifically, are very, very similar to the sound that you get on Shed. And that was, like, the EP they did right, like pretty much right before they started writing Shed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think I think the progression does make sense. Um, I don't think it was like a huge jump in style, and no one else I knew really thought it was the huge jump in style at the time. The thing that was like the move was the fact that they were like shooting music videos. Like the video for Twenty Seven is like big, um, mm-hmm. and, and Side One Dummy put this out and yep, Walter Schreifel. So uh, I mean that's all huge budget shit for them. Absolutely. And, I mean, they formed in fucking, like, 2003, so, yeah. you know, took long enough. <laughs> but I guess it, after eight years, you it kind of turns your band into, like, a really finely honed mach- machine. Yeah. Um. So I guess maybe something that we need to revisit is, uh, which we talked about on episode one, is Title Fight's emo. Yeah. Last Thing You Forget and Shatter pretty much uh undeniably emo core uh floral green is kind of like a an edge case and then hyperview is like dream pop 
Like, I yeah. think they incorporated the shoegaze influences uh, better than most other bands. Would Would you think it's fair to say like Floral Green is something is just like the best case version of something like uh what's that band Daylight? Yeah, is doing yeah. It's the that like a reverb shit. Yeah, songs like None But I Still Feel It and uh, Head in the Ceiling Fan are totally what like Daylight and Citizen and uh, fuck even Balance and Composure ended up going for Yeah, as time went on because the Balance album that we're going to talk about here is much less that and much more like an updated version of like Seven Mary Three (laughs) I don't know what that is if that makes sense I don't know what that is like or like silver chair or okay. candle box. Yeah, yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah. Stone Temple Pilots. It's it's DIY punk rock Stone Temple Pilots is it's, what that balance record sounds like. Yeah. Uh, but we'll get there because we're going to get many votes. Uh, next one on here is yeah. Touche More, Parting the Seas Between Brightness and Me. Probably my favorite album besides Algernon on this list. Uh, this album was that entire summer for me. This is the other one besides Shed that I would have been okay with. Uh, yeah, with doing the deep dive. Um, <laughs> I remember I would drive to see my college girlfriend, like three hours away from where I was living, and just like listen to this album on repeat. Uh, they had that one song about driving all the time. And I used to think that was fun to listen to while driving. Uh, yeah, in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah this album was huge and it was landing everywhere like kids that didn't have anything to do with like heavy music found out about this album i don't know how uh but um like i feel like this was landing yeah this was landing everywhere so i've seen touche many 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 times uh tilda is the only song that i crowd surf to ever (laughs) really yes oh um this this album is another big deal to me. Uh, it was kind of like a bonding moment between me and my friend Spencer because this was the album that he described as like his catcher in the rye of hardcore. You know, like <laughs> it just like very much meant everything to him. Uh, so seeing Touche together was a cool little tradition for us. But there's just so many great moments on this record. I feel like a problem endemic with this style of... Uh, melodic hardcore is that every song begins to sound the same but this record does not have that issue broadly touche doesn't have that issue because each song has very specific identity and very memorable moments scattered all throughout it like how can like the beginning of pathfinder is so fucking iconic condolences is like method i like i I defy you to name an, another band in this style who could pull off a song like Condolences. Mm-hmm. Jeremy is a real fucking talented lyricist. And it helps that the music doesn't ever... They're not trying to go balls out and experiment. They're just going for the fucking jugular with, what, with, with the type of music they're playing. It's a blend of screamo and melodic hardcore and pretty much all the all like the all like the bay area stuff that was also happening at the at the time like dangers and yeah i can hear a little bit of that in their sound uh especially in like the pre-parting the sea stuff um i think this album compared to what followed this with uh stage four and 
what was the other album called? It's Survive by. I actually think a Survive by might be their best record, yeah, but, but I know I'm in the but, but that that album and Stage Four both made me miss the speed of Old Touche because definitely yeah. got spacier. Lot, I mean, this was the bridge effects. between. This is the bridge between Scram's Touche and the Touche that plays to pop punk crowds. Yeah, for sure. But and like just like they nailed it on this album and I missed it uh-huh. ever since it left. Shout out to this and Shed for both being like just under thirty minutes. Like that's just perfect album. This like, album's twenty minutes long. It's twenty three minutes. And then Shed's twenty seven. I mean, do you think it's so our emo is totally cool with Touche getting posted there. Um, yeah, it, it's just such an am- amalgamation of everything. So yeah, they're this, they're one of those bands that just fit. Yeah, like, um, like you said, um, I think there's another an album that I'm gonna talk about in my like adjacent section that accomplished this even better this year. But I do think Touche had a little bit of parallel with like what I hear about people talking about through being cool when that came out because oh, everyone liked that record, hardcore yeah. kids, emo kids, yeah. pop punk kids. Absolutely. Um, you know, Touche has staying power and you could tell that from the second that this record hit your eardrums. Mm-hmm. It's and just fucking iconic. That White Wives band I talked about, that's like Chris from Anti-Flag and someone else. These all, like, all of these bands are kind of coming up at the same time. Like, a lot of bands that became, like, names uh i would i would say like polar pair club is was definitely lumped into this whole thing too yeah i'm going to talk about the polar bear club record that they did this year later but put one up that year okay that makes sense exactly exactly but like touche was definitely like they always seem to be like the headliner of all that shit they were the leader of the pack i think a lot of that was also because you know they had been around for just a little bit longer than everyone else. Jeremy Bohm was very, he's a very charismatic person. Mm-hmm. Very good at networking. I mean, didn't this come out on death wish? This came out on death wish. Yeah. That's fucking huge. They were, that's them making a career move, you know? Yeah. I mean, they're not on death wish now. They're on epitaph now, but they're on Jeremy epitaph, still which has is like, that's the step up. Yeah. But that, that's which is huge, but that's a step up. I mean, this touche's, managed by rock nation <laughs> which is yeah by like jay-z's manager yeah uh yeah that's fucking awesome and i do think that it's fucking awesome that touche always takes time to shout out their influences mm-hmm. like i think it's cool that because he has the death wish imprint right secret voice yes that repressed uh Satius discog you know he's got multiple copies of the orchid jerome's dream uh tendon skull split and obviously you know they just uh they're taking Jerome's dream and fucking dangers out mm-hmm. uh on their west coast run and i cannot see that even though you know 2011 me is like stabbing current me in the face multiple times right now for <laughs> for not for not going to this show but you know it's not a four-hour drive anymore touche is someone to even if you don't fuck with the music like just mad respect for everything that they do in general 100 percent um that brings us to La Dispute Wildlife. I expected this one to get a lot more votes as well. Talk I mean, I think Rooms of the House is going to be much more of a contender when, I, when 2014 I, rolls around. I just don't think I was hanging out where people were just, like, gushing about Rooms of the House. 
I saw people like debating about it being like great and good, but not like this is the best thing that they've done. Either way, uh, talking about wildlife though, this is like I feel like you're gonna drop that this is your favorite album by Law Dispute, but I feel like this is the one that's universally not people's favorites. Yeah, I promise I'm not trying to be a contrarian like <laughs> with my my picks for like my favorite albums by these bands, but um, this is the album that really did it for me with Lattice View. I think this is the album that they like uh, capitalized on all the promise that they showed with uh, Vancouver and Somewhere at the Bottom. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels fully formed. Uh, it feels like they knew exactly what they wanted to do sonically. Uh, there's a lot of not quite experimentation, but like new senses of dynamics on this record in comparison to the last one. But they combined that with like a much sharper sense of focus. And I think that Jordan's lyrics had improved a lot. Like, yeah, yeah they were definitely refined. Wild, wildlife has the lyrics in all of Lotus Speed's discography that I cringe at the very least. But I mean, there's like a, like I was saying uh, a while back when we were discussing Lotus Butte. I think that this album has probably the most like sleeper hits of all their records. Like this one has a letter. This one has "Edit Your Hometown." Edit Your Hometown this is, ha- is is a real banger. Yeah, this one has uh, Edward Benz. There's just a lot of really meticulously crafted, memorable songs on here. I think it's not quite as visceral as Touche or Defeater, but it's uh, it has this sweeping epic grandiosity about it that just kind of tends to overwhelm you um this is a band that's always shooting for the overwhelming they're never subtle i mean fucking king park how are you not just like overwhelmed by that song like i remember the first time i heard that song i was sitting in a fucking computer lab that i was still just like gripping my fucking like desk being like what the fuck is going on now yeah, I was walking home from school and I had like a fucking like panic attack. I thought a car was gonna hit me or something. I was really <laughs> people make jokes about it. People like treat it like a meme now, but that song like has something. That song has like this this weird sense of resonance that it's it's one of the few songs that eight years after it came out, like still after listening to it a million times, it can still send chills down my spine. Yeah, like. The storytelling is very powerful on that mm-hmm. on that on that song, and it it's a shame that they apparently are not playing it live on this tour. I've never seen this band live before. Um, I saw them with Touche actually, um, but that was before this record came out, and I have not seen them since. I almost went to see them with Thrice and Nothing Nowhere. Ooh, uh, but I don't know. I, like this was when wild uh lattice feet was like unavoidable they were the leading tumblr core artists of the time mm-hmm. <laughs> i'll also make a note to say that like lattice Butte and touche definitely would not be as big if thursday did not put both of these bands on blast uh as they were bowing out thursday had a lot to do with it but i also think that the two bands' connection had a lot to do with it as yeah, well. Yeah. I think their I think their friendship and that kind of marketing all five of those bands as the wave was a fucking genius move. Whoever came up with that. The big five. Like yeah. Uh I mean I think Jeremy said that he considers like as many as like forty something bands to be part of the wave, but 
it's those big five and whoever came up with that marketing tactic was fucking brilliant because even make do and mend as boring as they are like had their moment because of that <laughs> um and we'll kind of get to where we were seeing these bands being talked about um specifically with one blog that we'll get to i don't know why i'm yep. saying proper property of that but um this was like this i would say probably like the big five actually were like actually getting alt press coverage when that was like barely barely like meaning anything i mean alt press was like doing like bring me the horizon and bless the fall type shit like it was kind of unheard of for a band that sounded like touche to be getting write-ups with them Mm -hmm. but that was definitely like a last leg of like relevant to anything tasteful now i mean like what is all press right oh yeah like like i mean they write about panic they write about the nostalgia for yeah they still write about bless the fall and bring me the horizon that's what they still do they're just grasping for relevancy they also sometimes publish articles about little peep for whatever reason (laughs) so one more of the big ones on the ballot would be empire empire with that ep on time spend spending waiting how do i what is this actually titled (laughs) on time spent waiting replace the weight of the world on the shoulders of those you love the most yeah so this is an ep but it's it's like top two top three most popular empire empire releases um i was going through discogs and it's been pressed just as much as their lps so it counts yeah i think the reason this is so popular is because it's 11 minutes so it's accessible (laughs) (laughs) for a band that is inaccessible yeah a band that is very prolific and writes way too long of songs most of the time and i think uh to me what sets this ep apart as well is the fact that the production is very sparse and very minimalist like Mm -hmm. it sounds like the band is playing in a closet very gently (laughs) um (laughs) especially on when you were done living on borrowed time which has that like sick uh trumpet lick or whatever that is yeah i don't know what it Um, is but there was this pocket of time where emo revival bands were using horns and like no matter what it was it was like all right this song's kind of fucking yeah it always it always fucked yeah Yeah. um fight boat you kidding me this is i i think the best place to start with empire empire and then i would advise someone to move on to what it takes to move forward um i think the thing that People always forget about Empire Empire is the fact that they literally never rock out. <laughs> <laughs> they, I guess, I, I guess that's true. <laughs> Their buildups don't really build up to anything. No. Like, they're like it's it's almost like shellac, but a lot less noisy. If that makes sense, like it builds up, and then the tension just <sighs> deflates. Yeah. Not that I'm saying that that method of songwriting is bad. It's hard to sustain that for like 55 minutes and maintain my attention personally but 11 minutes is the perfect runtime mm-hmm. and each song is you know done very well uh is pretty memorable i think uh i will say that the style of guitar playing is it's not something you hear very much anymore because it's not exactly twinkly or tappy or mathy or anything like that it's almost like 
like when I listen to it, I'm almost like seeing Morse code, you know, <laughs> like the dots and dashes. Does that make sense? It's it's kind of like orchestral. It's kind of like as yes. as like orchestral as uh, emo or indie rock guitaring guitar playing can get i guess um i mean i i feel like you have way more specific things to talk about this record but i am just more curious because i feel like empire empire is a band that like a lot of people say that they like but have hardly heard them it's just like i don't believe that you actually listen to this band um i mean they're a flagship band of the of the emo revival is the thing like yeah they're stalwarts you know Mm -hmm. like i don't want to say it's a legacy inclusion when people like talk this band up because to be quite honest they are very good at what they do and if you like it like if you like that style then you are going to fall in love with them but i also don't think that that style is as appealing as a lot of the other names from this from this era so i've always thought this and never aired it out there like do you think that the world is have are have done a more accessible version of what empire empire is um no because the world is rocked out too I, like i guess they yeah they definitely reach those peaks and then rock with it empire empire doesn't okay yeah good point yeah empire 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 uh has a lot less energy than a lot of the other bands they focus more on like just this kind of subdued serene atmosphere like to me this ep specifically feels like i'm like cuddling with a weighted blanket um like that's the sonic equivalent of that Mm -hmm. and you know maybe the reason that this band as a whole isn't really my bag is because they do sound a lot like american football i never they said and they also sound a lot they also sound a lot like the less uh aggressive moments from mineral I I have always drawn the mineral comparison. Was this man big on Tumblr? Yes, yes they were. Okay, I mean Keith has very good lyrics. Yeah, Keith's a very good lyricist and uh, a very he's just a very very good guy. So, mm-hmm. like, I think that for that reason alone, Empire Empire would be impossible to hate. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that they are they were not bad is just a bonus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were bit they were big on Tumblr. Uh they're probably like the biggest pre-dads band on Tumblr because I think out of all those bands of, of this era that dads like had the biggest following on Tumblr. Yeah. Next to bo- right below the world is, granted, but like I think the that, world is, is still on Tumblr. <laughs> yeah, they're still on Tumblr and the reason that they had such a big fandom on tumblr had nothing to do with their music and everything to do with uh their personality and yeah. presence and shit um, yeah yeah exactly i mean they were just straight up mean like yeah the story so far were also mean on tumblr but i've never seen a, a band just straight up like mercilessly cyber bully people like the world is has like not even nick cafferty <laughs> I don't even know the half of it, cause, but I, I just had, I basically dated a series of Tumblrinas that told me all about it. Yeah, <laughs> that's 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 good, Kyle backstory. That's Eward <laughs> lore. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> so let's get into some of these others, and we can and we don't have to spend much time on them because I've hardly listened to some of these records. Uh, but balance and composure separation hardly got votes. I don't know, maybe emo doesn't fuck with balance that much, but separation has tracks. I mean, I tore you apart in my head. I think they like swore off that song, but uh, that song is great. Oh, that sucks. That's a great song. Uh, the title track is sick. Quake yeah. is sick. Quake. Uh, Hundred words or yeah. less. Fucking theme song. Oh yeah, shit. <laughs> um, I I I really like this record. I would go so far as to say it's the only balanced record that I actually like. Take that back <laughs> and go with the Tiger Shaw split. That because that. <clears throat> oh, I mean, I meant LP. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the Tiger's Jaw split has arguably the best material from both bands Definitely, but, like without without a question it's the best balance set of songs without a question it's the best balance but like i think that's the best uh post pizza album tiger's jaw songs too okay. aside from spirit desire yeah yeah i gotta revisit that 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 side of split i don't know if we're gonna be talking about the things that we think we're missing or whatever but that's when i started to be like eh whack I don't know why. Yeah, people I love that record. That was album. Very people love yeah. it. I don't. I don't know, dude. It looks like a fucking lava lamp, and that tells you all you need to know. People were along um, for that fucking ride, though. I remember seeing vinyl pressings of that album, like propped up on top of the shirts at Urban Outfitters. For sure. Like in Planet Hollywood. Yeah. I'm gonna look at how many times that album's been pressed, because I think it's like a million. <laughs> Separation's been pressed 25 times. The things we think we're missing, 21 times. All right. Oh, that's weird. Okay. Yeah. Surprise. Anything else for Separation? No, I think uh, I think I'm good on that. Cool. Basement. I wish I could stay here. Um, I so fucking love this record. Really? Okay. I see. This is like the ones where I see like I see the seeds being planted of Basement's huge success, and I that's the most I think of it. I mean, I guess you could argue that Color Me and Kindness is the is the more well-constructed, well-written album, but I wish yeah. I could stay here. It's just the British version of Shed, and it's sick. That's a huge compliment. Yeah, absolutely. And you can definitely tell that like whoever is doing guitar in this band is going to end up working with uh, Pat Flynn. Yeah. Like, some, yeah. Some of the, there are some surprisingly hard moments on this record. I need to revisit this now then, because I like got yeah, this record the record and used get, it. Yeah, the get like harsh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I definitely think "Color Me and Kindness" is the only thing I want to listen to by this band at this point. But uh, I got this wow. record in a used bin like three years ago, and I think I already sold it on Discogs. That's sad. This record's sick. Okay. I need you to... should should get back into it. Okay. Uh, run for cover. Put this one out. And uh, they were definitely like when Tuesdays and Tay, when that was coming out and Basement were like broken up and stuff. People were just like begging for them to come back. That was mostly based on the strength of Color Me and Kindness, like because that album did very very well financially. Mm-hmm. But I wish I could stay here is the songs that I want to hear live. <laughs> when I saw them with Weezer, they played like five songs and it was a lot of new shit. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. I would say Basement are a great live band, actually. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, So apparently I'm going to get roasted for a second. Uh, Big Kids Don't Be a Baby. Yeah, why didn't you put the LP on here? Uh, probably oh, probably because home. of, like, research errors. Oh. Uh, oh. Wait, 
Phone home. Phone home. 2011. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's a fuck up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I will say phone home and don't be a baby share uh, the same best big kids track, which is the romantic comedy. That song's a banger. Uh, I think that this band passed a lot of people by uh, due in, in large part to the fact that uh, their production is horrendous. <laughs> uh, like this record is just not pleasant to listen to just from like an aesthetic standpoint. Yeah. However, they're doing some cool stuff. And am I wrong to think that the singer sounds a lot like Jeff Rosenstock? I mean, I never thought that, but I like hear it now. I was like, yeah. my like biggest point about big kids is like, that's a band that basically forgotten about. They remind me a lot of like those like '90s weird in between punk emo bands, like uh, like Tuesday or like Tilt Wheel. You know what I'm talking about? I know or who Big Tuesday Wig. is. Yeah, they sound a lot like Tuesday to me. Like Big Kids were touring with Joyce Manor when Joyce Manor's LP came out and stuff. And that's how I knew about Big Kids and stuff. And they were definitely on the same blogs that I was downloading these albums from and stuff. Uh, but I think this band just, like, they they only put records out in 2010 and 2011, and that's five releases. So, like, they just burned yeah. out super quick. Uh, yeah. What happened to them? Do we know anything? I have no idea. I don't know anyone in this band. Yeah. I don't know any of their history. Um, all I know is that one song smokes. Yeah. Um, and I wish that they had gotten a little bit better recording quality and I think maybe their hooks would have come out a bit more because I think the flatness of the production and the tinniness of it really robs their hooks of a lot of the power that they would otherwise have and makes their song sound less dynamic. Yeah, that's putting a lot of thought into it uh, that I didn't put into it. But yeah, maybe that's why they didn't... like click or become like a band that people talk about now i guess because i don't know i mean i like that i like how heavy their guitar tone is i you don't really hear many other bands in this era uh having that like razor sharp like like high gain sound on their Mm -hmm. guitar um yeah big kids i mean if you haven't checked them out you should really check them out really kyle what um so I need to I need to call a very very brief break because I have to go to the bathroom very badly. Do it, do it, and then, then we'll come okay. back and talk about the Clippers. Yes. Oh uh, no, we got to talk about uh, by surprise first. So let's talk about by surprise, which I'm going to get roasted for. I don't know why. Because the album came out in 2010. That's what Spotify says, but that's what nothing else says. Even Bandcamp really? says. Really? Yeah, I like looked on Bandcamp because I was listening to it today, and I was like, oh fuck, what did I do? And then, but Bandcamp says by surprise, put out April fourth, twenty eleven. Oh shit! Discogs is also saying twenty eleven. Yeah. Okay, never but, mind. But, but, Roast like, me back for being but, an asshole. But I had the same knee jerk thing of like, uh, the fuck it says twenty ten on Spotify. Yeah, I never see. I sometimes I see the record being listed as released after it actually was, but I never see before. Yeah, which doesn't make sense. In general. Yeah, but um. Mount, this was a small band. Um, yeah, they were a small band. I was aware of them because I th- I thought that they were extremely underrated. Um, I love this record. It's a really underrated record. I mean, if you know about it, you love it. But like, I don't think I don't know. Didn't get passed on. 
to the kids. The thing that I very much like about it is that they have ridiculous, goofy, over-the-top song titles that are actually related to the lyrics, yeah. like, rather than complete non-sequiturs. Yeah. And, like, you can kind of tell, like, these these, these guys are, like, they don't, they, they don't take themselves seriously, and... Yeah, they're they're definitely like irony bros, but just like kind of like uh, I I don't know like cringy indie dudes, like they like I don't know if I consider them cringy like not, not, not cringy but just like unapologetic. Yeah, like, like they I mean, all have glasses. Daggermouth is like an unapologetically over the top pop punk band, and uh, I think it's cool that they got name checked like mm-hmm. on like an indie record um it went in the best song of the album by the way that that song has like such a fucking good bridge i think the guitar work on this record is really good because rather than being like a riff duel like a lot of the other twinkle albums of this time were uh the these riffs kind of like complemented each other and warmed their way around each other um I also think the use of gang vocals on this record is stellar. Yeah. It's definitely like in like the style of like, I don't know, something more like power poppy or something. I don't know. Yeah. These guys had hooks for days and I don't know why no one ever like gives them their due. I don't know. Um, Is it because they didn't tour much? I don't think they, yeah. I mean, they definitely had like an, an East coast presence. Uh, Right. But yeah, I, I, I don't, know if they toured maybe they did like south by or something i don't know but yeah they didn't really i mean get far out there but they but they have like splits with high tide they have a split with broadcaster and a split with uh Aspig- aspiga i just i remember that band a little bit r.i.p to this band uh, they were good they apparently have something in the can really yeah okay so right. the uh, the Clippers an evening with I threw this on here because you know it's an emo Jason thing that came, that came out this year but I just fucking adore this record like I fell head over heels for this record like over the past few months I I mean I I'm I'm assuming this got like three votes at very most but uh yeah I don't think anyone other than you me and Claudio gives a shit about this <laughs> yeah which we don't need to even talk about it but like it's so fucking good and if you haven't heard it listen to like all 10 songs by by the clippers and uh, yeah like this this ep is eight minutes long you are not losing much of your valuable time here yeah uh the but the split that they did with coping um it's two songs by each band and like it they just outperform each other like it's it's so good um this is I, I don't understand, like, what this band was coming from. I think they were just kind of lumped into, like, the larger sum of DIY in in general. But, like, I don't know what these guys were even going for. It was just, like, it kind of com- it, it kind of came out as, like, the twinkliest version of Power Pop, I guess, that I could think of. Uh, to me, it almost sounds like, uh, like Archers of Loaf. Yeah. Like- kind of which is like but, uh, but with like but like crossed something else yeah that i can't figure out yeah like maybe with like nation of ulysses like sassiness but way cleaner vocals yeah and with someone who could sing well yeah yeah like the singer on this record is like just like leagues above <laughs> like any twinkle band yeah yeah 
I think the singer went on to do another project that Top Shelf put out. Um, I can't think of the name of it. But yeah, this this, this was a Top Shelf band. They did a couple of seven inches for them. Um, but yeah, just do yourself a favor and listen to them. Uh, next up is that Deer Leaf and the World is Split LP. This is a fucking phenomenal split. Um, I know I just said like the, that Clippers and Coping is like the bands trying to outdo each other but like this one they just go pound for pound on each half of the record this is deer leaps best material um i would say so it yeah. is the world it's the world is his second best material okay after josh is dead oh okay yeah you're you spend a lot of time with those deep cuts then um i suppose i mean whenever if ever is about the furthest i go with this band see that i mean i have the take that no one has but like i think that like harmlessness is my favorite thing by the world is we can all agree that always foreign is a bland piece of shit though right it's it's i mean i tried to love that album i tried to like it i i i just don't i i I mean like it i respect i respect harmlessness's ambition but always foreign just has nothing for me to like latch on to Anyway, on the subject of the split, I think it's uh, it's probably the furthest that any of the big j- genre bands had gone into post rock. Yeah. At this time, because this is like true crescendo core on mm-hmm. this on this. What makes it work so well, though? Uh, is I think it's the energy. Yeah. I think it's the fact that, like playing with like a ton of like conviction. Yeah, it, it, it's it's kind of like them both coming out of the, the gate with the biggest eyes possible definitely the world has got a lot more narrow that's also not true because the world is just like fucked around so much because they they had that like minute where they had the spoken word shit that never did anything yeah and they've had like what 37 members they've had more members than like a 2010 metalcore band yeah. like that's just cool. lots of people cycling that out i gotta yell oh, Cosmo. for a second um but yeah, I mean, Deer Leap, I, I never really fucked with the full length. Or they Same. Got, they did Here, Here, and Impermanence. I don't even know what Here, Here is. I don't know. I, like, never listened to that stuff because if I'm going back to Deer Leap, it's probably going to be the split. Mm-hmm. But I want to get to Into It Over It here because proper. So Into It Over It proper. I was expecting for this to get a lot of votes the time i thought this was like into it over its biggest record and they weren't gonna top it and stuff but well i still think this is probably my favorite thing evan weiss has ever done you think this record is better than like uh, uh like pet symmetry or there 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 yeah okay see I, I i think the pet symmetry records are way better than this but do you know why i like this album so much because because it's a pop punk album okay yeah i mean it really is i revisited this today and i was like this is what this sounds like that's right i also just love how it's like a love letter to like this was the chicago record right or was it philly yeah he had previously done a song where he wrote like or like an ep where he wrote songs about like each like each of like five neighborhoods in chicago that was a different one 12 towns was a collection of splits that he did with uh, a band from each town uh, that's uh, that's why this album was called proper because it was his first proper like record as into it over it 
Um, I'm being schooled. Yeah. I mean, what this album is really a love letter to is like the people who have been following into it over it for as long as they had. And by this time, by this time, like to me into it over, it was, uh, easily the biggest band of the scene because they were no longer associated with emo. They were more associated with indie rock and pop punk. Um, they like had transcend. They had like transcended. Um, also, fun fact: that's the dude from uh, Castavet on drums here. That would make sense. Um, this record's really good. Uh, I think it's Evan's best vocal performance. I think uh, it's got shit tons of energy and tons of polish on the songwriting definitely made like the three-year wait between like 52 weeks and this like worth it (laughs) yeah uh how do people feel about intersections following this one because i thought that was like like i remember that being everywhere but like intersections was big and then standards was even bigger standards was bigger but i don't fucking like it at all no no this is like the only intuit over it record that i even really go back to Mm -hmm. i saw intuit over it for the first time solo acoustic on a glamour kills tour oh my god that's very 2012 <laughs> yeah uh people weren't fucking paying attention that's for sure yeah makes uh, sense let me out my dog one more time cosmo so let's get into two more here pianos become the teeth the, lo- the lack long after uh this was i always get their two full lengths mixed up that were on top shelf the lack long after is the good one yes yeah keep you is the one where it's like very very mellow i mean you said you were into that record if i remember correctly i might have been thinking about the lack long after i like adore old pride i think that is like one of my favorites of like this entire stretch of time but the lack long after i do adore like songs like good times so good like so catastrophic the lack long after was a really fucking big deal and again this like four out of the five bands from the wave put out records in 2011 like this was definitely the year where that whole thing kind of exploded mm-hmm. um, and i think uh pianos become the teeth were instrumental in that uh, they had like the most quote unquote legit sound of all of those bands. What is legit? Like they sounded, they sounded the closest to like DIY hardcore. Okay, yeah, yeah. I was looking at like their like tours around this time, and like they were always like doing like these big opening slots on in like big venues and shit. Like I was watching YouTube videos of like their old shows, and like they were hopping on these bigger tours. Yeah, I don't know. This this record is a very good time. Uh, it doesn't mean as much to me as uh, the Touche record or the Lot of Speed or even the Defeater record that came out this year. But it's a it's a very good record. I don't mean to be talking about records. We're probably going to be ending up talking about, um, but like Keep You, I was definitely lost on that shit. Sea Haven. Don't know anything. About so when I so. I was shocked to find out that they're Cali- like from California. Like I thought they were a British band for forever because of the singer. Wait, uh, I know I've heard like one song from this band. I thought they were UK. It, right? Yeah. No, they're from California. Um, oh, that just pisses me off. 
yeah, the singer kind of sounds like the dude from Cage the Elephant, honestly. Like, it's like that really, yeah, it's like a, it's like a wilting kind of whack white boy indie rock voice. And it's a shame because the music itself is like fucking sick. The music on this record is every bit as good as like the basement record or the bouncing composure record that came out this year. But the vocals just ruin it for me. I've heard precisely one song by this band, and I think it's from that Reverie thing. Oh, yeah. In another world, I would have been a much bigger fan of this band, but they just, like, blew right past me. Is this is this band canceled, or are they just broken up? Oh, they're just broken up. Okay. <laughs> no, they're actually still together. I'm sorry. I lied. They're neither canceled nor broken up. They are still an active band, but they just have not done anything. Right. Like, Wikipedia lists them as still active in any case good to know uh so at this point we talk about ellie's adjacent records mm-hmm. so i actually wrote down like an untenably big list of albums that came out this year so i'm just gonna shout out some albums that we probably will not talk about uh this was like a huge year for hardcore like harm's way isolation came out uh trapped under ice big kiss goodnight came out backtrack Casey Jones, Counterparts, Trap Them, Weekend Nachos, Zabalba, Trash Talk, all had, like, ridiculous records this year. Um, and also it was a pretty good year for hip-hop, I think. Uh, Watch the Throne, uh, Kendrick, uh, ASAP, and Danny Brown all had, like, stupid good albums this year. I do not like early Childish Gambino, but Camp came out. Uh, really? Mac Miller's first, Yeah, Mac Miller's first record came out, Blue Slide Park. Uh, which I think is actually his best one. Anyway, so a Jace, a Jace Records that came out this year. First of all, The Wonder Years, Suburbia. Mm-hmm. I don't think you could listen like you could listen to this record and tell me that there was no emo influence. Like the guitar is like unmistakably influenced by like intricate Midwest emo shit. Not because of the records, but just on principle. If we put The Wonder Years on here, then we got to put Joyce Manor self-titled on here. No. <laughs> I'm just saying on principle of letting one versus the other in. Okay, so let's agree that we will not put either of them up on up up on the on the voting block, but I will talk about the Wonder Years whenever I get the chance. Sure. <laughs> sure. Suburbia is amazing. Like that might be a top ten album ever for me. Uh, I think that The Greatest Generation is also good, but they got a little bit too far up their own ass, and then they went full rock star after that. But Suburbia is just that perfect sweet spot of like ambition and uh, like humbleness. Yeah, I think it works well. Um, probably the beginning of the decline for Fireworks, because Gospel came out. Gospel is their most successful record, and it didn't even do that great. This band never really had their quote-unquote moment. And that's a shame, because... They were very, very good at what they do. I prefer their earlier stuff, and I, like I said, I think gospel is the start of their decline as songwriters. But um, yeah, like the thing about the thing that I noticed about Fireworks as someone who was watching pop punk from the sidelines is that the fire that Fireworks never became a headliner, but they were always a fucking absolutely perfect direct B tier band, yeah, direct support like. I saw the Wonder Years twice with fireworks, and like everyone knew all the words for for fireworks, but like 
shit i don't i don't i don't think there's the right venue for fireworks to even headline like it's like 50 people if i remember correctly they did play last at chain reaction in 2010 on their tour for uh the debut and i just missed them i saw man overboard and transit but i missed them man overboard (laughs) were opening for them uh it was it was i think like a co-headlining thing okay and fireworks are playing last what else? Crucial Dudes, 61 Pen. That album came out this year. Never Legend. listened to them. They The most underrated band of this era of pop punk, hands down. That's this Phil- album is fucking fantastic. That's a Philly band, right? Because I think... Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. they're Philly. Uh, they, the band Neck Deep uh, got their name from a line in their song Boom Roasted. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I don't like Neck Deep, but I like Crucial Dudes. Um, so... So what are they all about? Like, what makes them emo adjacent? Uh, the guitar work. Like, I think a lot of this particular era of pop punk had a lot of influence from emo just in the fact that the guitar was a lot more intricate. Like, it was kind of taking the energy and aggression of melodic hardcore, crossing it with the intricacy of Midwest emo, and then throwing a shit ton of, like, sticky pop punk vocal hooks over the top. These guys don't look like they play pop punk. Right? No. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know absolutely nothing about this band besides like uh where they were from yeah um, i promise you this album's a fucking wrecker and it's very short so it's not much of a time investment sweet uh i guess man overboard self-title came out this year that's like the first of their shit records um transit listen and forgive uh this is the album of theirs that sounds more most like american football a lot of people will say that this is the best transit album, but I think it is like also their first shit shitty album. Um, that 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 glamour kills tour that I was talking about, transit played in like the middle of it. It was like six bands or something, and transit played in the middle of it, and like it just seemed to bum everyone out. Like the vibe just like changed so instantaneously. Yeah, and you know what's weird is that Patrick Stump's got a guest vocal spot on that record. Yeah, they were a big ass band. It's just bizarre to me. Uh, I have Emir Speaker of the Dead on this list for whatever reason. I think is like a maybe as a, a sarcastic joke, but also maybe not sarcastic because I think this is the album with Solar Flare Homicide on it, and that al- that that song is like a fucking banger. Um, uh, I also have Let Live on here. Um, Let live, man. They really went for it, and then they just burnt out, right? Uh, yeah. But the Fever three 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 is like huge now. What is the like, Fever three three three? That's like the new band that Jason Butler is doing. That's like oh, I've never heard of that. Kind of like a, it's kind of like a Rage Against the Machine thing. But like their streaming numbers are insane, and they got nominated for a Grammy. What? I've never even heard of this. Yeah. Not that, that yeah. matters. But. Uh, Polar Bear Club put out a real shitty album this year. Which one was that? It was the uh, I forget the name of it, but it was the follow up to the debut. It was their second record. And what I was going to say earlier when I was talking about Title Fight is I felt like Shed is the actual like like what the follow up to Polar Bear's debut should have sounded like. Mm. Um, and the actual follow up to Polar Club Bears or Polar Bear Club's debut was like very bad. Um. <laughs> This one has killing it on it. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of it. And then the last, the last big one that I want to talk about, as far as the J stuff, uh, is 
to me this uh, this is the album that like fucking changed everything and started like on the path to blowing up the scene kind of turning pop punk into like the once again mainstream thing that it is now and that's the story so far under soil and dirt mm-hmm. this record like is the through being cool of our generation everyone fucked with this album <laughs> didn't matter who you were um and i think that they like really broke into the mainstream proper with the follow-up which you don't see which only has one good song on it the glass but like under soil and dirt is like such a perfectly crafted record if you ignore the extreme misogyny in the lyrics uh and like somehow it's their least popular full length now like i have no idea what do you mean by that if you look on spotify it's there it's the lp with like the least like streaming okay Uh, I remember this this being like a real big record on like uh, file sharing websites in 2011. Yeah, I uh, mean, they definitely started. I don't know if they were ever doing shit DIY, but like they were definitely. They, yeah, they were. They had EPs and splits. They even had like a little easy core demo that you can track down if you're so inclined. Okay. Just like Citizen. <laughs> but they like definitely spent the time like being the opener for like. For like, yeah, I saw them for play like a, a few years. Yeah, and I think the fact, like, this record is was like marketed as like the most pop punk pizza thing imaginable, mm-hmm. but really it's just a melodic hardcore with tons of Midwest emo influence in the guitar work. It's all over the place. And hooks. And hooks. Well, I think Parker Cannon sounds a lot less pop punk and a more like brain donkey, like. So I think the vocals are not the thing that's like hooky with the story so far. I think it's like all the instrumentals. Yeah. But I don't know. What do I know? Like, I, like people really love Parker. I was going to say the like, Parker, a girl off stage. Parker's the fucking frontman. Like he is, he is what any successful pop punk band needs. And the thing, my favorite ba- member of that band has and will always be the bassist Kellen. That dude's chill as that. shit. Okay. That dude's chill shit. He's in a massively successful pop punk band and rolls up to every show in his like '94 Honda Acura. <laughs> Why? He doesn't want to waste money getting a new car. <laughs> That's it for me with uh, Jace Records. Cool. Um, we got a lot out of this episode so far, so let's maybe just wrap it up just talking about property, Zach. Um, I can't think of a better thing to end this episode out on. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it was such. A make or break thing for a lot of bands like who were some of these bands like uh predominantly pop punk bands we're gonna talk about but like uh this is when knuckle pucks coming up this was when uh real friends real friends was in there too uh chumped i saw chumped on property of zach a whole bunch um but sprainered and like they're like probably I'm trying to look it up now, but Property Zach's like YouTube channel was really big too. Uh, like they, uh, I mean, Modern Baseball for sure, but that's missing it by a year or two. Yeah, um, I think what made Property Zach special was the fact that they were willing to like approach albums that were previously regarded as mainstream trash with like actual critical like distinction. Like I remember uh, they had tons and tons of articles like extolling the virtues of 
what to do when you're dead by armor for sleep or from under the cork tree by fallout boy sure. yeah like albums that people would never like think to give the time of day at a site like pitchfork but are treated with like a lot of dignity and respect by the people writing for this site and the fact of the matter is property is zach had very good writers <laughs> across the board like people who actually knew their way around a fucking sentence for like being something that wasn't like owned by spin media or something like, right yeah uh, what what but was actually like professionally run and whatnot uh they did have like good writers what were the swellers doing at this time oh were they, shit were they done i was gonna bring up the swellers and the flatliners the flatliners i feel like strays off into org org core way that's more true than, but like, zach liked their org core you know yeah but that's true the swellers forever and unfortunately a band's band also hostage calm is another band from that from that come up that is not emo not really pop punk just like it's however hostage calm hostage calm does have a ton of emo cred yeah they, because they helped invent the word twinkle daddy that's true so yeah. um and shit yeah just hanging out with shitty greg um candy hearts the first time i ever saw candy hearts was on property zach i have heard terrible things about that band <laughs> they're an extremely pleasant pop punk band yeah um i very much i very much adore them at least their first record everything was amazing and no one's happy what else can we talk about with property of zach um they were like a no bullshit website like if you were like they like wrote about like the real yeah like shit of substance like inclusivity um they were and their staff was taking like warp tour to task and shit about like their lineups and stuff so I mean, not that that was, I, like, wasn't happening elsewhere, but, like, uh, people would really get their eyes on it. Property of Zach was uh, one of the first times I saw people, like, using the term social justice warrior as an insult. <laughs> like, that got, like, leveled at them quite a bit because they had the guts to stand up for stuff that they thought was morally right. Um, and I think you know seven eight years on they've been vindicated in a lot of ways uh was property of zach one of those websites that wrote about all the shit that went down with mixtapes what shit went down with mixtapes uh just the well the guitarist got like in trouble for being like a weird creepy dude but also the singer of mixtapes like was groped by a member of an audience at warp tour and like went fucking off about that um so really there was like two sides of the mixtape story there was uh the fact that it was shitty of that person to grope the singer of mixtapes but also it was very shitty for the guitarist of mixtapes to be an asshole i remember that being big gossip and i'm also surprised that we have not talked about mixtapes yet that was a no sleep record yeah um i remember them being like real prominent in the scene not yeah. exactly as like being like a headliner, but the fact that they were like everywhere. Yeah, they were like, they were a big personality. They were online, all the shit like that. So, Property of Zach closed down in 2015, right? After it's yeah. kind of running out of steam. But I, I remember they did like a whole like two week long lead up to it with everyone publishing their own like little goodbye pieces. Yep, I do remember that exactly happening. 
don't know. I was bummed when they closed their doors because you just were not going to find like someone with that same caliber of writing talent covering those bands. It, they it, like it kind of became once again that they were like left to the to become like the detritus of Sputnik music like mm-hmm. reviews. Yeah. I I I just kind of miss when publications like that had so much pull. Not in a way of like I need to be spoon-fed what I should listen to, but just kind of in the way of like going through a website and like and just seeing what like what people were talking about. I I guess that turned into our email, but our email is just really just fish in a barrel. Yeah, and it doesn't have the consistent voice that Property is at had. Right. Chorus FM is just posting press releases and ten-year-old press photos. I don't know what the I don't know who the fuck Chorus FM is for now. Does Chorus FM have like a comment section or forums? I think it's like shit you have to pay for now. Oh my god! Yeah, who does that? I don't know. I hate Jason Tate. I think he's a jackass. Oh, Jason Tate. It's total dipshit. He's almost as bad as the dude from Buddyhead. Remember Buddyhead? No, I don't know what that is. Oh, that was like before Pitchfork really came into its own. Buddyhead was the snarky music internet publication for was it, like was indie it, bands. Was it Justin? Oh, okay for for indie bands. Yeah, I've never I've never ever yeah. heard, heard of this Buddyhead. Uh, they they had like a little mini record label they put out some sass bands they put out an at the drive-in record i think oh what yeah Type. like a like a step inch or something yeah yeah no one ever remembers them but if you if you want to know where like pitchfork kind of swiped their their snarky writing style for that hot minute between like 04 and 2010 it's it's buddy head tight I was gonna say, like, I, I, I don't know exactly what happened to Zach, but I know he like started working as like brand news management team. Oh shit! Yeah, I think he might. Well, I think I think he might own a donut shop now. What a character arc! Yeah, that's like that's like some shit that if it happened on a TV show, I'd stop watching. <laughs> yeah, um, but I guess like, what do you do after? The band takes. You could always hit. start up Property of Zach again. Sure. I don't know. I can't really think of any site that replaced Property of Zach as far as being like that type of pub. Our emo. Just kidding. Our emo. Our emo just has a different vibe. I know. Mostly because like the like the people who post are not held to the same standard of. There's no editorial process. Right. To 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 post on our emo. You can't. So. You, is proper property of Zach can't exactly shit post. Unfortunately. Yeah. Well, I think this oh, calls shit. it, right? Yeah. Twenty. Yeah, I think we did it. Cool. Twenty twelve is gonna be uh huge. Yeah, it's gonna be a huge one to tackle. There's a lot of big records. Um, the voting yep. went went down to the wire. Uh, like six votes came between the one that we're going to deep dive and I'm stoked about the one that we're going to deep dive. Yeah. I think if it had been the other one, uh, our listeners would be very disappointed because there's not much we could have been that we would be able to do with that. Yeah. I don't really know. (laughs) Yeah. Um, all right. All right. Thanks y'all for listening and we'll see you when we're talking about our 2012 record.